Let me take you to church. 2015. Congressman Mike Pompeo is at the pulpit, speaking to an evangelical congregation. There were over 80 evangelical Christians elected from all across the country. We can all have our politics, we can all have our views, but it is, for me, special and important to know that these men and women also believe in Jesus Christ. And to the extent we disagree about how we ought to vote or how we ought to think or the right course of action for America, I know uh, that we are all taking our guidance from that same place. 2017, the President of the United States is speaking to a group of agents at CIA headquarters, talking about his pick for CIA director. But I met Mike Pompeo. That was the only guy I met. I didn't want to meet anybody else. I said, cancel everybody else. I met him and I said, he is so good. Number one at West Point. And he was also essentially number one at Harvard Law School. And then he decided to go into the military. And he ran for Congress. And everything he's done has been a home run. People like him. But much more importantly to me, everybody respects him. Just two years later. Mike is a true American patriot. I have absolute confidence that he will do an incredible job as the nation's 70th Secretary of State. Today, Pompeo is Secretary of State, the most powerful diplomat in the world and one of the most influential voices in the Trump cabinet. So, who is... Mike Pompeo. I'm Sean Morrow, and this is Who Is, the podcast from Now This, where we examine power by telling the story of the people who have it. Mike Pompeo is a Kansas man now, but his story starts in California. Pompeo was born in Orange County, does well in school, plays basketball, and heads to West Point, the United States Military Academy. West Point is formative for Pompeo for a few reasons. Here's Nahal Tusi, the foreign affairs reporter for Politico. I mean, the joke is that, you know, it's the West Point mafia. There's names like Esper, Pompeo, Dave Urban, Brian Bulatow, Ulrich Breckbuehl. These guys were all there. They were friends. And now a couple of those guys are with him at the State Department. It's a very interesting phenomenon to have this one class with so many people who are now power players. Yeah, Pompeo made friends at West Point who now serve with him at the State Department today. He also had some cookies that were pretty revelatory. And I had two young men, I'll never forget them. Uh, they invited me uh, to an event on Sunday afternoon. And I'll be honest with you, just like I saw the donuts out there today, I saw the cookies there that afternoon. And it was a difficult time, and I thought it'd be a chance for me to step away from the rigidity, step away from uh, the military world for just a moment. And I learned that this was a Bible study. And these two men brought me to Jesus Christ uh, just one year later and have remained friends and fellow fathers of Jesus since that day. He makes friends, finds Jesus, and eats cookies. But how else did Pompeo's time at West Point form him? This is Laura Jakes. She's the diplomatic correspondent for The New York Times, covering Pompeo's department every day. Pompeo was at West Point. He was a second-year student known as a yearling. Most other people would call it his sophomore year. When the embassy barracks in Beirut, the Marine barracks in Beirut, were bombed. It was 1983. 241 troops were killed. And you can imagine, while he's a student at West Point, 
preparing for a military career, potentially preparing for war, this is something that probably had a massive impact on his life. So it was Hezbollah, an Iranian-backed militia, that bombed the Marine barracks. Obviously, five years prior to, the embassy in Tehran had been taken over. It was a foreign policy issue that was foremost on people's minds at the time. But you can understand where a young military man preparing for a career possibly in war would be hugely impacted by the Marine barracks bombing in 1983. So ever since then, ever since he's been in public office, he has been very clear about his animus towards Iran. Finding Jesus, making lifelong friends, forming an animus towards Iran. And he still had time to do his schoolwork. One other thing to note is that Pompeo, and everybody brings this up, <laughs> Pompeo graduated first in his class in that year at West Point. And that, I am told, is a huge deal. Like, it's something that is not just based on grades. It's a number of factors. And so to be the first in the class at West Point is considered a very big deal. Unlike many politicians, Pompeo actually served from 1986 to 1991, patrolling the Iron Curtain towards the tail end of the Cold War. After his service, Pompeo would go on to Harvard Law School. He's a very smart guy. Everyone who talks to him, who meets with him, who works for him, says he's very sharp. And when people go to, like, brief him, he wants to know things quickly. He reads everything, is what I'm told. He's very quick to grasp the implications of things. And from Harvard to Kansas, here's Diane Leffler, a senior reporter for the Wichita Eagle covering Kansas politics. I think the thing that Kansas deals with more than anything else is being perceived as unimportant, being perceived as flyover country, being perceived as rubes and hicks, because people here are not. Our biggest industry in Wichita is building airplanes. Stupid people don't build jetliners. Kansas is a lot more complicated than you think it is. There's a lot of sophistication in the state, but it's a different kind of sophistication than on the West or East Coast. A sophistication that might have been what brought Mike Pompeo to Kansas in the first place. I couldn't tell you exactly why he felt it necessary to come here, but I do know that he came here to start a business. He uh, put together some local machine shops into one bigger company, and that was sort of his first foray. With a few West Point friends, some of the same guys who'd end up at the State Department, Pompeo starts Thayer Aerospace with a huge infusion of cash from some local businessmen. Wichita is home to Coke Industries. It's pretty well established there was Coke Industries money behind his entry into business in Kansas. And the one thing that you can probably count on with a... Uh, Kansas District 4 congressperson is that there's going to be some Coke involvement there. For folks in Wichita, Coke Industries is the home team. I think that there is a perception here that we would be much worse off if we didn't have Coke Industries in Wichita than we are. That is not to say that there are not people who are diametrically and vehemently opposed to Coke Industries and its politics. It is a very libertarian brand of politics that doesn't necessarily 
resonate with everybody, very anti-tax, very anti-regulation. Charles Koch, his political philosophy is that the less government interferes with private markets, the better. That's not always a popular view here, but Charles Koch's name is on the basketball arena at Wichita State University. I think to a lot of people, he's a hometown hero. To Kansans, the Kochs are not just major political funders, but local businessmen. The Koch investment in Pompeo's new company was reported as early as 1998, a year after the company's founding. And 2003 financial documents show almost 20% Koch ownership. Pompeo eventually moved away from Thayer and into the oil biz after he was offered a good job by a powerful industrialist with ties to the Republican Party. Kansas actually has a decently sized oil industry, certainly not as large as Texas or Oklahoma, but decently sized. And he went to work for a guy named Dave Murphy, who's a very large oil man in the region, also very heavily involved in Republican politics as well. That was Tom Shine, currently News and Public Affairs Director at KMUW, Wichita's NPR station. Shine has followed Kansas politics for decades. I can't say exactly why Pompeo, a successful businessman, decided to enter politics, but a longtime Kansas representative, Tom Teahart, was leaving Congress to run for Senate. The oil business, like aerospace, is kind of up and down, can be up and down. And he's a smart guy. He's, he's a West Point guy. He served in the military. I think he likes public service and feels an obligation to public service, I'm thinking. It seemed like a natural move. I think some of the people he was involved with, working with, Dave Murphan perhaps among them, thought he would be a good candidate for that spot. With Todd Teahart moving out, Todd Teahart was a very strong candidate, easily won re-election when he was in office several times. So I think they were looking for someone to replace him and they came up on Mike. This early Pompeo campaign ad might have some answers. Who do we want representing us in Washington? An Obama follower who secures amnesty for illegals or a veteran leader who secures borders for Americans. I'm Mike Pompeo, I approve this message and hope you pass it on to every hardworking person you know. Pompeo was utilizing immigration to energize his base years ahead of Trump. His campaign for Congress received significant support from Wichita's hometown heroes. So he did have all of these contacts with the Koch brothers. They were major funders of his campaigns. They were major investors in some of his small businesses. And when he came to the United States House of Representatives, when he was elected to the House, he was known as the congressman from Koch. And that's to say that he was seen in Washington as very closely aligned with the Koch brothers. And that was where his bread was buttered. At one point, Charles Koch even challenged Pompeo to the Ice Bucket Challenge, a video relic lost to time after Pompeo's old YouTube channel was made private when he was nominated for Secretary of State. Pompeo's the rare populist who is not only popular with major donors, but the general public. Kansans really like him, and he would ride the Tea Party wave to Congress. The Tea Party was a somewhat reactionary phenomenon in the wake of Barack Obama's election and what many saw as very much a leftward tilt in the country. And then, of course, the bailouts after the 2008 economic collapse, the bailouts to the various industries that really angered a lot of Americans. I should say on the left as well as the right, but the Tea Party phenomenon rose out of that and 
many, a, a number of Republicans rode that very conservative wave into Congress, and Mike Pompeo was one of them. And so that means that you don't just say you're a Republican. You say you're a conservative Republican. Well, Mike was, uh, he was a regular, we had a series of very well-attended Tea Party events here in Wichita. That was really a big deal here. And some of them drew crowds upwards of a thousand. So it was Mike Pompeo was someone who spoke to them and spoke their language. Let's talk about Kansas politics. Basically, it's kind of a three-party system here between the Democrats, the conservative Republicans, and more moderate Republicans. This is really pretty much the center and has been for years of the anti-abortion movement. This is where they had the Summer of Mercy. You may have remembered from national news back in the early 90s. And it's been gaining popularity ever since. That particular issue is kind of a touchstone for a lot of Kansas politics. And once you know where a candidate stands on abortion, then you can pretty much figure out the rest of their package from there. Although this might surprise some listeners, Mike Pompeo is popular at home in Kansas. That's because there are a lot of different kinds of politics in the United States. What's right for California might not be right for Kansas. One of the things that I cover on a fairly regular basis is meetings of the Wichita Pachyderm Club. That's the local Republican group. And Mike Pompeo is revered in those circles. They are incredibly proud of him. He it's hard to go to a meeting where he doesn't get mentioned as somebody to admire and even pray for. That runs really deep here. There are 435 people in the House of Representatives. It's hard to make a name for yourself. There's hundreds of congressmen you probably haven't even heard of. But Pompeo does manage to stand out. Here's Laura Jakes again. When he was a congressman, Mike Pompeo was one of the kind of Republican ringleaders of the Benghazi hearings. You had no idea how long the incidents would continue, did you? It was over within an hour. Yes, ma'am. There was a subsequent attack and could have been a third and a fourth. So when the initial attack occurred, did you have any idea what the magnitude and the duration of the events of that night would be? Congressman, I don't understand your question. We knew that the attack was over. We knew that our diplomatic security team had to evacuate from the compound to the CIA annex, and we were in a frantic search to find uh, Ambassador Stevens. This went on and on and on. It's a long and convoluted story. In 2012, there was an American-made video that kind of belittled the Prophet Muhammad. It was seen as blasphemous by Muslims worldwide, and it incited a fair amount of protests that bordered on riots at American embassies, especially in the Middle East. I was in Cairo at the time, and there was a huge crowd of people at the U.S. Embassy in Cairo protesting and trying to climb the wall of the embassy there. And at the same time, there were protests that turned very deadly and dangerous at a an American diplomatic outpost in Benghazi, Libya. And four Americans were killed, including the ambassador, Chris Stevens. And so 
this was obviously a tragedy, but it also called into question what kind of security Americans diplomats have abroad. Are they protected well enough? And there was a House investigation into this question. And at the time, the Secretary of State was Hillary Clinton, and she was looking at running for president herself. And Mike Pompeo was one of the conservative Republicans who made it his priority to question her and push her as hard as possible to admit that she had failed in protecting her own staff. When the Benghazi investigation finally concluded in 2016, the New York Times described it as one of the longest, costliest, and most bitterly partisan congressional investigations in history. After an exhaustive search, it found no evidence of wrongdoing by then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. Pompeo disagreed. He very much made it clear he disagreed with findings that basically cleared Secretary of State Hillary Clinton of wrongdoing. So then Congressman Mike Pompeo even co-authored like his own report. And he would go on TV like Fox News and other places and really use harsh terms to talk about Clinton's role and other Democrats at times on Benghazi and other issues. He really gained a reputation as being frankly, a bit of a blowhard, somebody who was just really ideological, kind of mean. Pompeo went in hard on Benghazi. He wanted Secretary Hillary Clinton to go down for allegedly not protecting the safety of American diplomats. Remember that. It's important later. It was Benghazi that uncovered the existence of those now infamous emails, which was a favorite Pompeo talking point. Well, I'll tell you, what you see in these uh, emails coming out is the people closest to Hillary Clinton don't trust her either, just like the American people have come not to trust her. You can see that at every step of the way, she was seeking to hide and to deceive the American people. Remember, she told us there was no classified information on this email server. Pompeo is only in Congress a few years when candidates start announcing 2016 presidential campaigns. He endorses Florida Senator Marco Rubio, and in the process, said then-candidate Donald Trump would be an authoritarian president and criticized him for his Islam rhetoric, saying it is not helpful for GOP presidential candidates and others to treat all Muslims as if they were terrorists and enemies of America. There are folks in my party who are demagoguing. Despite that, Pompeo himself said this. The silence in the face of extremism coming from the best-funded Islamic advocacy organizations and many mosques across America is absolutely deafening. It casts doubt upon the commitment to peace by adherents of the Muslim faith. But when Trump gets the nomination, Pompeo, much like his benefactor back home in Wichita, Charles Koch, gets in line. Many people have tried to understand why conservatives have embraced Trumpism. And there are a few possible answers. Ambition, power, cowardice, and ability to enact policy or score political victories. But for Pompeo, the weirdness goes further than that. How does he reconcile the behavior of the president with his religious beliefs? Maybe it's as easy as being nominated to lead the CIA, which is just what happened to Pompeo after Trump was elected in 2016. After Trump is elected in 2016, he nominates then-Congressman Mike Pompeo to lead the CIA. Pompeo is confirmed with 66 votes in the Senate. Mike Pompeo is an impressive guy. Uh, he really is. When he was named to head the CIA, I was thinking to myself, Donald Trump really got it right this time. If there was somebody that you want to be 
gathering intelligence and sweating secrets out of terrorists, Mike Pompeo is your guy. Pompeo led the CIA for a little more than a year. And that's how he got so close to Trump. Here's Laura Jakes. He took the president's daily intelligence briefing to him every day or every day that he was taking the briefing anyway. And in this way, he got a lot of FaceTime with the president. And that's how he became known to the president. They had a good rapport. They still have a good rapport. They do have a great rapport. And Pompeo somehow manages to still align himself with Trump on a topic like Russia. You've probably been asked this a million times before, but everyone wants an answer, everyone in this room. Uh, Did Russia intervene in our election? I have been asked it a million times. It's true. Yeah, Uh, of course. And the one before that, and the one before that. They've been at this a hell of a long time, and I don't think they have any intention of backing off. Here's Nahal Tusi. One of the things that I always found kind of weird was whenever in public he was asked about Russian interference in the U.S. election in 2016, he would say, yeah, sure they did. And they interfered in the election before that and the one before that and the one before that. And it was this line that he said more than once. And I was always like, what what are you talking about? Like, I'm not saying he's not being truthful, but I don't remember hearing like about major or significant Russian interference in elections before 2016. And so I always thought that was a weird thing that he was never really pinned down on. And, you know, in that one far off day in the future, if I ever get a chance to ask him a question, (laughs) I'll try to pin him down on it. Some of the people that I have talked to who are close to Pompeo say that one-on-one or behind closed doors or away from the media, he kind of gets the game. He kind of understands that some of what Trump wants is unrealistic and it runs counter to what American policy has been for decades. Yet Trump still really likes the guy, or at least he says he does, and nominates Pompeo for secretary of state. Uh, When I heard that the president had elevated him to be secretary of state, that was a bit of a head scratcher because he has never struck me as the most diplomatic person. Diplomacy is not something that I would have ordinarily associated with Mike Pompeo. He has some very strong opinions about things, and he's pretty plain spoken. For being America's most powerful diplomat, Pompeo isn't described as being very diplomatic. Uh, he, is a, he, is a, he is a bulldog, and he's your secretary of state. The State Department is kind of the ground zero for all foreign policy and diplomatic measures that the United States takes in dealing with the rest of the world. It has a workforce of about 70,000 foreign service officers and career officers and some political appointees. It's largely the United States' face to the rest of the world. His role is to be kind of the the top negotiator for all things foreign policy with the rest of the world, the top enforcer of the United States policy to the extent that America can enforce its policy over the rest of the world. He is the face of the United States in matters abroad, second only to the president of the United States. Pompeo is ambitious. He's going places. And just like he rode the Tea Party wave to Congress, Today, Pompeo is capitalizing on Trumpism to build his own political power. He knows what he wants and knows how to make it happen. I think Mike Pompeo is a very intelligent, a very ambitious, very capable politician slash lawyer. I think that he is someone who 
can move in different sorts of circles. I think he can relate to people at the bottom of the economic pyramid and people at the very, very pinnacle of it. He's a very ambitious guy. There are a lot of folks, a lot of reports that he's always in touch with fundraisers, that sort of thing. He has advisors. He has political advisors who quietly advise him. He does a lot of domestic travel, not just to Kansas, but other states in the United States. It's a bit unusual for a secretary of state. He has made appearances at events like the Values Voter Summit, which Again, it's sort of unusual for Secretary of State, who is supposed to stay out of electoral politics while in that role. Um, but above all, it's the fact that he tries to stay so in sync to President Trump. He tries to stay so close to him, never shows any differences with him in public. And I think that's because he wants to make sure that the base of voters who vote for Trump and support for Trump will vote for him down the line. Pompeo's close relationship with Trump and the decisions these two men make affect the lives of millions of people around the world. So what's this relationship like? When Mr. Pompeo wants President Trump to do something or he wants to hire some people, he'll go into the Oval Office and he'll throw all of these these issues and all this information at Trump. And while Trump is sitting there trying to think about all of this, Pompeo will say something like, by the way, I'm bringing in this person or that person. And Trump is already so, you know, consumed with the the policy issues or the decisions that he needs, that Pompeo needs him to make, that he just kind of says, okay, I don't care about that last thing that you just said. So, I mean, it's a funny way of managing your boss. It's somewhat successful, apparently. I think some people call him the Trump whisperer, but I don't think that's a fair description because if you're like the something whisperer, the idea is that you're going to be able to persuade that person or whatever to kind of do what you want. And I think it's quite the opposite. It's more like Pompeo adjusts to do whatever Trump wants. And that's partly because of his military mindset. Like he believes in this in this idea that, look, once the president makes a decision, even if you disagree with him in private, in public, you don't show the difference. And then if he makes a decision, that is his commander's intent. And you do what you have to do to make that decision become a reality. And so he kind of has that approach to his job. And look, President Trump is a commander in chief. So in a way, it's not an astonishing point of view. But I think for a lot of people, that's incredibly frustrating because they feel like President Trump makes so many bad decisions. And so they view Pompeo as not being an adult in the room. I mean, he's been called like a yes man. And I think he would take umbrage to that. I think he simply thinks he's actually doing his job and being a proper steward in an executive branch by doing what the president wants. So what does the president want besides praise and attention? While Trump ran in part on getting America out of the Middle East, Trump and Pompeo are taking big risks that could very easily lead to endless war. Well, endless our war, especially with regards to Iran. Pompeo and the president are willing to take big gambles in a region where nothing really seems to have worked in terms of bringing peace. At the same time, there's a strong argument that when you escalate in these types of manners, you just make things worse. You make this regime less willing to negotiate. You make the regime more uh, determined to fight back, especially beyond its borders. And we can tell that this risk is very high because even some U.S. partner countries in the region like Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, and Israel have basically really kept their head low 
ever since Soleimani was killed. They have been, in recent months, seeking ways to, not Israel so much, but the Saudis and the Emiratis, to find diplomatic ways to negotiate with the Iranians. And, you know, I talked to this Arab official, and I'm like, what are you guys doing? You know, you've been pushing the United States forever to get tougher on Iran, and now Pompeo and Trump are doing this, and now you guys are, like, you know, ducking? And his argument is like, look, we have to live there. They are in our region. We can't ignore them. We have business with them. We have to think about our economy. We don't want to get in the middle of your war. And oh, it's one of those tricky things. Now, t- to date, Pompeo seems pretty happy with the decision to kill Soleimani. He's certainly not taking it back. He says it's restoring deterrence in the region. I think that is definitely a hypothesis that still remains to be tested. We've talked about Coke power and Trump power. But what about that power most high? Pompeo told the New York Times that the Bible informs everything he does. Well, now what he does is mold foreign policy for the world's greatest superpower. Christians in America are among Israel's greatest friends. This this isn't this isn't a new development Christian support in America for Zion for a Jewish homeland runs back to the early Puritan settlers and it has endured for centuries. Indeed, our second president, a couple years back, said, quote, I really wish the Jews again in Judea, an independent nation, end of quote. And then a little more recently, uh, now just over 100 years ago, 1916, a prominent American evangelist named William Blackstone helped to convince President Woodrow Wilson to support the Balfour Declaration. The Balfour Declaration was a British statement of support for a Jewish nation in Palestine. But who is this William Blackstone, I wondered, and what does he have to do with it? Blackstone wrote a religious document called Jesus is Coming. The text outlines how the return of Jews to Israel will bring about the return of Jesus. And yes, the rapture, the end of days, Blackstone introduced the idea of Christian Zionism, Christians supporting Israel, to the United States, and it persists today in Christians who support a Jewish homeland, not because they believe Jews deserve a homeland, but because that homeland will give the prophesized end times a bit of a kickstart. The end times, of course, would be great for Christians and a real bummer for everyone else. That belief may have resulted in a number of disconcerting statements about Islam. We are engaged in a struggle against radical Islam, the kind of struggle this country has not faced since its great wars. This evil is all around us. And we, as Pastor Wright spoke in his prayer, have an obligation to speak out against it. Sometimes they'll call us Islamophobes or they'll say we're bigoted. I've had each of those bestowed upon me. Uh, I've been called a tool of the Jews. But it will never dissuade me, and I hope none of you, from acting out in the most important fundamental way is that is proclaiming that this is an exceptional nation and that Jesus Christ is my Savior. Here's Laura Jakes. I don't get the sense that Secretary Pompeo is anti-Muslim. As far as the State Department policy goes, it is kind of strange. The Chinese Uyghurs in Western China, a million of whom are being held in camps, what the Chinese will call re-education camps, 
is another kind of go-to talking point for Secretary Pompeo. He rails against Beijing for its treatment of the Uyghurs, rails against Beijing for basically discriminating against a minority. The same is true to a lesser extent with the Rohingya in Myanmar. The State Department is fairly robust in its defense of the Rohingya in telling the Myanmar government under Aung San Suu Kyi that the human rights violations that are being committed in Myanmar against the Rohingya are intolerable and must be stopped. In India, with Jammu and Kashmir, and especially in Kashmir, which is a Muslim-majority state that has seen many of its rights limited under the government in Delhi over the last six months, you hear less from the State Department about it. It's not clear to me exactly why that is, other than to say that India has a very strong bilateral defense arms relationship with the United States, which is to say that India buys a fair amount, millions and millions, if not billions of dollars worth of defense arms from and material from the United States. And so there is this perception that the United States doesn't want to come so strongly or so loudly to the defense of the people who live in Kashmir because it doesn't want to scuttle this defense pact with India. There's some hint of that as well in Saudi Arabia, which is another big customer of American warplanes and and material. Defense packs and sale of arms and weapons is something that always plays a role in some of these bilateral relationships with foreign partners. It's the politically motivated withholding of hundreds of millions of dollars in military aid that was at the heart of the impeachment of Donald Trump. And as Secretary of State, Pompeo was in the room where it happened. Last spring, Ukraine had its own presidential elections. And as is customary when allied nations have national elections, the American president will call up the new president and say, congratulations. But President Trump was very focused on a business deal in Ukraine that involved Joe Biden's son, Hunter. And President Trump, potentially with an eye on his reelection in 2020, was looking to see, it's fairly clear from a transcript of a telephone call, was looking to see what had happened with a shady deal that he had been told had gone down with Joe Biden's son in Ukraine. President Zelensky of Ukraine was hoping to have a telephone call with President Trump and talk to him more in detail, not just about allied partnerships, but also what military weapons that Ukraine might be able to continue buying from the United States in order to stave off this Russian threat to its east. And President Trump did not want to sell those weapons to the Ukrainians until he got a commitment from the Ukrainian President Zelensky that he was going to announce an investigation into this firm where Joe Biden's son had been hired and had been working. So it's a little complicated, but there was this very now widely publicized telephone call on July 25th where President Trump made it fairly clear to President Zelensky that he wanted President Zelensky to announce some kind of investigation or to look into if Joe Biden's son had done something stinky in Ukraine. And Mike Pompeo, for some weeks, denied or he stopped just short of denying that he was aware of President Trump's request. As it turned out, Mike Pompeo was aware of this all the way through. 
And so there have been a lot of questions as to why did he allow this to happen? And ultimately, did he support his ambassador on the ground who was pulled out several months early? There it is. Not supporting an ambassador on the ground. Remember the Benghazi hearings and how long Pompeo spent grilling Hillary Clinton? When he was dealing with the Benghazi stuff, he was absolutely and very publicly adamant that the State Department cooperate on every level, hand over documents, do whatever Congress wanted because oversight was Congress's thing. And now with the impeachment scandal, he's coming under similar scrutiny and Democrats in Congress are like, hey, you need to hand over documents. You need to tell us what we need in this scandal and other scandals. And you need to stop being what you accused Hillary Clinton of being, obstructionist, right? And so (laughs) it's just kind of like karma for him. It's been really amazing to watch this. I mean, people just feel like, oh, yeah, that guy, that guy who was just such a jerk. And now he's trying to act like he's high and mighty and, and above it all. And it's really... This is the thing. It's the thing you have to remember in politics is like things you say will come back to haunt you. Often, though, it seems like these things don't come back to haunt. I mean, ghosts aren't real, right? Look at how little sticks to President Trump or any of the people we've talked about on this show. Mike Pompeo is a very astute and shrewd politician who has his eyes on higher office. He has made very few bones about wanting to ascend from congressman to CIA director to secretary of state to basically what his role in the Trump administration is chief foreign policy whisperer to the president. Now, of course, he keeps going back to Kansas. (laughs) And so people think that he's doing this for political purposes down the line. He has said he's not going to run for the Senate. But apparently reports were that he's talked to people in the Koch network about that sort of funding for a political campaign in the future. You know, I personally have come to think that he is going to be running for president in 2024. And just to be clear, he's not the only one who's doing this. And Nikki Haley is clearly eyeing a presidential run. She's the former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations under Trump, former South Carolina governor as well. Mike Pence, will probably be running. These are people to keep an eye on. I mean, I know it's like four years away, but <laughs> but these types of things, you got to lay the groundwork for early. Mike Pompeo is exactly the kind of person many Kansas Republicans want to represent them in office. A formidable, business-minded, economic conservative opposed to regulation, an anti-choice evangelical Christian, and a veteran. For many Democrats, he's almost the ultimate baddie a Trump sycophant in bed of the Koch brothers, a warmonger whose religious beliefs appear to inform his political attitudes, especially when it comes to the terrible question of war with Iran. But however you see Pompeo, one thing is clear. He's a smart politician with a bright future. And one possible answer to the question of what happens to the Republican Party after Trump. On the next episode of Who Is, well, I'll let Pompeo introduce him. Pastor Fox mentioned a special friend, Tom Cotton. He came in after me as a member of the House. He quickly outgrew me and became a United States Senator for the state of Arkansas. Uh, He is a dear friend, a fellow follower. Mike Pompeo's special friend, Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton. Next time on Who Is. 
A sincere thank you to our guests, Laura Jakes, a diplomatic correspondent based in the Washington Bureau of the New York Times. Diane Leffler, government and politics reporter at the Wichita Eagle. Tom Schein, director of news and public affairs at Wichita Public Radio, KMUW. For new perspectives on Wichita and the people who live there, check out The Range, a new weekly show featuring Schein. And Nahal Tusi, foreign affairs reporter for Politico. Who Is is a podcast from Now This. I'm Sean Morrow, senior producer and writer. Michael McDowell is our producer. Editing and mixing by Ernie Indradat. Additional writing from PJ Evans. Production support from Pedro Alvira, Rob Baynard, Amanda Earle, and Margot Wall. Emily Feld and David Zwick are our producers in Los Angeles. Our executive producers are Sarah Frank, Brett Kushner, Nancy Hahn, and Mangesh Hadakuder. And now this, Tina Xaros is our chief content officer, and Ethan Stephanopoulos is our president. Special thanks to Matt McDonough, Devin Roger Reno, and Elias Acevedo for their excellent work on the original video series of Who Is, which you can find on Facebook and YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and tell your friends to check us out.